Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Uh, my name is Temba Rasputuma, uh, for those who do not know me. Uh, I grew up in Johannesburg. Uh, pretty much my whole life I've been living in Pretoria for like the last seven years now. So I pretty much feel like a Praetorian uh, in and out. Um, so I work for this ministry called uh, Campus Outreach. Um, and what we do is that uh, we reach out to students on the university campus. Uh, and I'm particularly um, at the Grundtvig campus uh, at UP at the moment. Um, and we're also part of the ministry team here at Red Door Church. Um, a bit about myself and my, and my family. So uh, I'm married to Guanele. Uh, we have no pets eight plants, and we love food. Um, and that's a bit about us. Uh, so my wife's not with us this morning, actually. She actually has her driver's test tomorrow morning in Mpumalanga. Uh, and so I told her that uh, we will be praying for her at church because we know how stressful that can be. Uh, so please, family, please do have her in your prayers. Uh, she's on her way there at the moment and probably stressing a bit, uh, but hopefully she'll be fine. Uh, and so we are in, currently in part two of our sermon series in the book of Acts uh, called Sent. Um, and what we've seen so far is just looking at how God has worked through the early uh, church, uh, through the apostles uh, and the new believers who then came out of that uh, period uh, and the gospel going forward and moving throughout. We first see the Gentiles, uh, we first see the Jews, uh, you know, coming to faith. And then what happens from there is that we begin to see the spread all the way across right through to the Gentiles. Um, and so a key, key thing to, to understand, or at least to remember, is that um, as we consider how these uh, early Christians were sent out to live on mission and to live for the Lord, um, what is important is that they were being sent out not out of their own will or their own doing, but they were called by God to do so. They were living in obedience to that call. Uh, And so this week, we find ourselves in Acts 13, um, that very chunky passage, verses 1 to 52. And one of the things that I'm hoping that we'll see um, as I share this morning is that uh, we'll be able to grow in our understanding of the gospel, uh, see God's glory, and recognize his sovereignty and salvation. And so let me quickly pray for us, and then we'll just dive straight into the text. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful um, for this great morning that we've had so far, just singing uh, praises unto you, uh, praying uh, your word, reading your word. We just ask that uh, may you continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Uh, May our hearts and our minds be prepared to receive your word this morning, and may we just truly be transformed. Uh, May we truly uh, be given a great joy and eagerness and excitement to want to know you more, and may we also, Lord, search our hearts, be convicted of our sins, and most of all, just continue to turn to you. And so we pray in this morning, in your son's name, amen. All right, um, so a key, key verse uh, to remember um, that we started off with all the way back in chapter 1 is Acts, verse, um, one, uh, Ch- Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, and what that verse talks about is how um, you know, Jesus Christ commissions or calls out uh, his disciples and says, I've called you to be witnesses for me in Judea, Samaria, uh, and to the ends of the earth. 
And so what I want to do is, uh, in the next slide, just give a bit of a, a visual representation of how this gospel moves forward. And so we see it starts over in that very small circle in the middle there. That's where Jeru- uh, Jerusalem is. And that's where we see the gospel begin to spread out. And so we see it starts in Jerusalem. It spreads all the way to Judea and Samaria. And then it spreads to the Gentiles, all the way to Cyprus, Turkey, and Greece, and even all the way to Rome. And guess what? Even till this very day, we know this very gospel has reached all the way till the tip of Africa and continues to go forth in this world. And so this movement of the gospel, which started at this one place over here, still continues to live and is active till this very day and age. We here at Red Door are a part of this movement still. God continues to work through the church with, for the gospel to come and move forth. And so this is just a visual image for us to get a, a bit of a picture or an idea of what's happening. So when we began in Acts 1, we were just in that small area there in Jerusalem. But now we find ourselves all the way there by point three, uh, where we are now in this region of the Gentiles and even spreading further to Cyprus and to Turkey and the gospel is going forth. And so just keep that mental image um, as we journey through, today, to, through today's text because we're going to be able to see how God is so sovereign in salvation and so sovereign in his gospel moving forward and in his kingdom coming to be. And so please read with me again verses 1 to 5. And it reads as follows. Now, there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Sit apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salimas, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And so Luke, uh, who's the author of this book, is setting the scene by telling us about some of the people who are part of this church in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas are sent out of. And so if we look back to Acts 11 verses 19 to 26, we see that this church in Antioch was started out of the Jewish Christians who scattered after persecution broke out um, when the stoning of Stephen happened. And so the text here in Acts 11 uh, verses 90 to 26 tells us that as they fled from persecution uh, to places like Antioch and many of them uh, only shared the word of God with Jews on their part. And so as some of these Jewish Christians are fleeing persecution, what are they doing? They're saying, no, no, no. As we are running away, we are still sticking to just sharing the gospel with Jews. Uh, Because of this cultural pride that many of them still had and struggled with and still see the gospel as something that is just for the Jews alone, even when they were sent, even when they fled in persecution, this word of God that they now had, they they wanted to keep it to themselves and only want to share it with the Jews. But, but there were some among them, there were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, that when they arrived in this cosmopolitan city of Antioch, um, they began to share the gospel with some of the Hellenists there, and those were Greek-speaking Gentiles. Um, and so what happens is that they start to preach the word of the Lord, and then it says, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. 
And so after this church in Jerusalem, um, after the church in Jerusalem heard of this, they sent Barnabas to Antioch, um, and they're like, hey, Barnabas, we're hearing something's happening over there in Antioch. Can you go and check and verify if what is happening is true? And so Barnabas is sent, and when Barnabas gets there, he's like, oh, wow, this is legit. Um, you, know, the, you know, these aren't just, you know, Mickey Mouse, fake Christians, but the Lord is truly working in their heart, and they truly are believers. And so what does he do? He's like, no, we need to get more people in here. And so he goes and he gets, uh, and he fetches Saul uh, all the way from Tartus, and he's like, brother, come through. There's this new church that is growing and blooming in this cosmopolitan city and there's this diversity of Antioch and let us be with them. Let us teach them how to grow in the ways of the Lord. And so what they do is that they spend an entire year in this church in Antioch and what they do is just they do life with them. They continue to teach them about the word of the Lord and they continue to disciple them. And as this is happening, more and more believers are coming, more and more Christians are maturing in their faith. Discipleship is happening. More and more people are hearing the gospel. And so in many ways, this church in Antioch was just flipping the city outside down with so many people that were coming to hear the word of the Lord and were also responding to it. And so they were very, very influential, uh, Paul and Barnabas, in this church in Antioch. In fact, they were very key leaders. And so then... We look at Luke and how he intentionally, and starting out, gives us who are some of the people part of the leadership of this church. And he does that on purpose. And so this church is reflective of its diverse context where people from different cultures and background are a part of the leadership of this church and are also active in the life of this church. And so one of the people that we see is Simeon and Lucius. And you know these are guys who are most likely from Africa. But someone who's very interesting here is this one guy called uh, Manayen, uh, who they say is a lifelong friend uh, of, Her- of Herod Antipas. And so if there's something that we know about Herod Antipas is that this is the very same guy who beheaded John the Baptist and also was the guy that was mocking Jesus. And so this guy, Manayen, was a lifelong friend to this guy. And so in our heads, you would probably assume that this guy that was persecuting Jesus and beheaded John the Baptist, whoever walked with him, they probably would have been like-minded in their thinking. But the gospel was so powerful. The gospel captured him so much that even though his lifelong friend was out there killing and persecuting Jesus and other Christians, the gospel captured his heart that he could not resist. And he eventually ends up becoming a Christian, and he is now a key member, a key leader in this church here at Antioch. And so we get to see just how sovereign God is and who he places in this church. We get to see how God, how sovereign God is in salvation in that people who, when we may sometimes look in our eyes and want to write off and be like, there's no way that God, there's no way that woman can ever be a Christian. God is like, okay, let me show you. (laughs) And so the story of how this church started and the people who ended up becoming a part of it um, uh, shows us uh, indeed how sovereign God is and is just a testament of God's sovereignty in all things. And so we see here in verses 2 to 4 how the Holy Spirit is active in calling and sending out Paul and Barnabas to go and share the gospel. Uh, with their first stop uh, being Cyprus, where they proclaimed the word of God, in synagogues of the Jews. And so the sending out of Paul and Barnabas must have been a very, very tough pill to swallow because imagine some of your key, key leaders in the church. 
um, uh, the Holy Spirit comes and speaks through some of the prophets and is like, um, they got to go. Uh, I have a great work for them to do beyond the city. Uh, they might have been thinking, what are we going to do now? These guys have been with us for a year. Everything that we know, we were taught by them. You know, I was in a DNA group with Paul. I was in a DNA group with Barnabas. And now you're telling me that I'm on my own. But, but God being so sovereign, man, this, this church is already solidified. This church is already growing. This church is currently healthy. And so if anything, this was necessary so that these current uh, Christians in the church in Antioch would then get an opportunity or room or space for them to continue to grow and to flourish and to lead within this church. And also, we will later see how God uses Paul and Barnabas to be able to reach Gentiles uh, into other parts of the world. And so remember those circles. This gospel movement is spreading and it's going wider and wider and wider. And so an important principle we learn here as Christians is that living on mission is a work of the Holy Spirit and not our own doing. And something that we are, a, we are called to do as a community of believers in obedience to the Lord. And so even as we try to build relationships and share the gospel with people where we live, work, and play, we must see ourselves as sent out by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of the gospel in the different contexts that he has placed us in. And so let's look at this next slide. It, it will give us a bit of a visual image of the journey that now Paul and Barnabas are about to embark on. And so as you can see, Antioch is right over there above Seleucia in the Syria area. And so what they do is that they get on a boat, they go, they go down to Seleucia, get on a boat, they go to this island of Cyprus, they're going to start preaching over there uh, at Salimas, uh, they go all the way to Paphos, uh, they preach at a synagogue there, then they go all the way up to another uh, place in, called Antioch, uh, but this is Antioch, Pisidia, and, and for, for today's passage, that's where we're going to end. But as we continue in the next chapters, we're going to see this missionary journey that they embark on continue, and they eventually will work all the way back um, to Antioch. And so, remember, keep this visual image of how the gospel is continuing to move forward, and God is using them as his vessels to bring forth this gospel. And so, we, uh, if we turn to verse 6 to 12, let's read and see what happens. Um, as they begin to embark on his journey, they're going to encounter very different people. Uh, but particularly, Luke is wanting to show this one distinction that exists between the Jews and the Gentiles and how they respond to the gospel. And so quickly read with me verses 6 to 12. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul, um, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and envy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And how? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see, for the sun, for the sun you will be unable to see the sun for a time. 
immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had, hap- what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so here we see two people who hear the same word of God and how differently they respond. So on the one hand, we have this Jewish magician, Elimus. He opposes God's word, and he even tries to turn away the proconsul, um, who is Sergius Paulus, uh, who is a Gentile man, uh, but he fails dismally to do so. Um, he fails in trying to turn him away, and the Lord even brings blindness upon him because of his actions. And so, however, we see this, this Gentile proconsul who is eager to hear the word of God, and he believes it after being astonished by the teaching of the Lord and seeing the Lord bring blindness to this Jewish man because of his deceit and envy. And so even though this Jewish magician was trying to convince him and say, hey, what these guys are saying is not legit, believe what I had to say, God was so sovereign in that even his words were not enough to take away what was happening in his heart, in him being so captured and so consumed by this gospel that no man could stop that, not even this Jewish man. God in his sovereignty really captures this Gentile man's heart and he responds in a way in which he is astonished by his teachings and he believes. And so we see how sovereign God is in this Gentile man being saved. The deceit and villainy of the Jewish man was not able to stop him uh, from being able uh, to respond to the gospel. It was not able to stop him from believing, seeing, and being captured by the teachings of the Lord. Nothing can stop God from saving those that he has set apart to be saved. Nothing. And so another thing that's important to note here is that the blindness that comes upon this Jewish magician has a deeper spiritual meaning to it. And so even when Jesus walked to the earth and the Jews could physically see him, many still rejected him because of their spiritual blindness. This physical blindness the magician experiences may be temporary, but his spiritual blindness that leads him to reject the gospel is what will lead to his eternal downfall. And so being born a Jew is simply not enough. That's not what makes him right with God. Being born in a Christian nation is not enough. Coming from a Christian family is not enough. Being a good person is not enough to make it right with God. Those actions or things aren't enough to save us. Jesus wants our hearts. And so let's look at verses 26 to 39, and we'll see how Paul addresses the spiritual blindness many of the Jews struggle with and how he seeks to point them to Jesus for salvation. And so... Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of the salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfill them by condemning him. And, they, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all, the, all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. 
and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers. This has fulfilled, has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. Verse 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption, but, when, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And so Paul of Barnabas, they've left Cyprus now, and they've gone all the way up to Antioch, Poseidon. Um, and it is the Sabbath. Um, and so it's the Sabbath, and normally what happens when it's the Sabbath is that the Jews will gather in the synagogues for the reading, um, preaching of God's word. Um, and so what happens is that um, Paul is given an opportunity you know, to share after um, they've read from the prophets uh, as well as uh, some of the Psalms. And so what does Paul do? He's like, well, if you're going to give me a platform, I'm going to use it. Um, and let's see how Paul uses it. Uh, and so Paul knows that the many Jews gathered in that synagogue are suffering from a deep spiritual disability of unbelief because of God's covenant curse that came upon rebellious Israel. So because of Israel's disobedience, this is what the Lord said to them in Deuteronomy 28, verses, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 28 to 29. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind, and you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall, not be, and you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually, and there shall be no one to help you. And so Paul highlights that this deep unbelief can only be cured by Jesus Christ as he shares this. So Paul knows the condition that many of the Jews gathered there are struggling with. There's a deep, deep unbelief that is generational. Um, there's a deep, deep unbelief. As we look at throughout the Old Testament, we just see this constant cycle of Israel disobeying God, repenting, and disobeying God, and repenting. And there's a sense that, man, whenever I, I read parts of the Old Testament, I look at that and I'm like, but how did these guys not get it? You know, yeah, how, how many times does God show you grace and, and, and why don't you still get it? But the reality is that in many ways, I am like Israel. In many ways, I, I really don't get it sometimes. So the, the spiritual blindness that creates unbelief, um, uh, that creates unbelief affects all of us and that's because we are all born sinners, naturally choosing sin over obedience to God. And so Israel thought that in just keeping the law, you could be made right with God. But in reality, it is impossible to keep the law. Uh, this, this week in, a, in our Bible study, uh, we were doing, uh, asking, uh, you know, who, who here thinks has kept all the Ten Commandments? I was one of the first, I was like, uh, I doubt I've kept all of them. Uh, and so if anything, it's a very high standard, high standard that is impossible to keep. And so then, if it is impossible to keep the law, then what is the purpose of the law? Because it's clear that we'll fall short every time. And so, when we consider what the purpose of the law is, we must think that, or consider this, 
It is to reveal to humanity that no one can keep the law, but everyone falls short of God's standard of holiness and righteousness. And so that realization should cause us to rely on God's standard of holiness. It should cause us to rely on God's mercy and not our own works because we will always fail to meet the standard. And so when Christ came, he fulfilled the law, and with his death, he paid the penalty for our sins. And so by faith in him, a Christian has the very righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to him or her. And so my question is then, are you trusting in yourself or the things of this world, or have you responded to the gospel by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Jesus has paid the price. You don't have to do a single thing, but God has offered us the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so look at God's sovereignty and salvation being revealed, that through Jesus, the spiritual blindness is taken away, and we get to see and marvel at God's glory, getting the opportunity to now be reconciled to him and getting to worship him and no longer having to live our lives as slaves to sin. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can pursue righteousness and enjoy this relationship that we now get to have with God. And so this is truly good news. This is truly good news, but unfortunately, some will reject it even after hearing this good news. And so let's read verses 42 to 47. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them on the Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout uh, converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you, trust, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so what we saw happen early in Cyprus between this Jewish magician um, and this Gentile proconsul is now happening again in Antioch, Poseidon, where we see some of these Jewish people get so consumed by their sin and unbelief that they are filled with jealousy after they see these large crowds gather in the city to hear the word of the Lord. And so in, in, the, in their hearts, they were like, man, we were at the synagogue, and Paul and Barnabas came, and they preached this great word, and wow, we were so captured by it. But now that not only just the Jews are getting an opportunity to hear this, but also the Gentiles in the city are getting an opportunity to hear this, they have an issue. They are struck with jealousy. Once again, the sin and deep-rooted unbelief in their hearts leads them to then reject the gospel. In fact, they begin to oppose the gospel. They reject and want to try and deceive others by, contradict what, by contradicting what Paul taught, 
But Paul and Barnabas points out the spiritual blindness that leads them to reject the gospel and how they will now turn their focus to the Gentiles. And so once again, we see mankind in their foolishness thinking that they know better than God. But to be honest, I'm also prone of doing this. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God's grace and how he draws me back to himself, even when I fall short, is so good. Mm. Uh, This foolishness that is in our hearts sometimes, or not even sometimes, often sets in and creeps in and leads us to unbelief, leads us to suppress the truth and the power of the gospel. But aren't we so thankful of God's grace and him working in our lives through through the Holy Spirit? And so we see how some of the Jews respond. They reject the gospel, even after hearing. In the same way we saw that Jewish man, even after hearing, he rejects the gospel, and his cultural pride consumes them so much. Their cultural pride consumes them so much that they think that this good news is for them only. They feel like it's our time. For all these hundreds of years, we have been oppressed. Um, you know, there have been so many other nations that have conquered us. You know, we went through slavery in Egypt. Uh, we went through all sorts of hardship. And surely, God, you kept on promising us that there will come a time when I shall uh, come through and redeem you guys. And so in their, heads, in their heads and hearts, they're still struggling and feeling like, but this is our time. This is our time to finally benefit and be at the top but they're failing to recognize and to see that man. Salvation is not just about this political or it's not about this physical redemption where they will now come and they'll be the best nation. No, it's about our hearts being captured and consumed and being transformed that when since we were once enemies of God, we now get an opportunity to be reconciled with him once again. And so now let's look at how the Gentiles respond. Read with me verses 48 to 52. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. Imagine, you just got kicked out and you're filled with joy. That's, that's quite interesting. But it shows that Paul and Barnabas recognize that in and of themselves, they cannot change the hearts of man. They were simply called to be obedient, to go out and proclaim and share this good news. But what happens in the heart, they have no control over. That is the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. Um, And so in their obedience, they went out and they preached and they proclaimed the good news. And so afterwards, when they do not respond, they dust off their feet and they go. But we see that many of the Gentiles believed after hearing this good news, leading them to rejoice and to glorify the word of the Lord. They now have eternal life in Jesus Christ. God is the one who gives them this new life. So it is not because they deserved it or because they did anything to impress God, but it is out of 
God's grace and sovereign choice that he led many of them to believe and be saved. So what does this mean? This means that as we live on mission in our lives, as we live on mission as Christians, we are not the ones who save people. No, we are not the ones who save people. God is the only one who can change people's hearts, removing the spiritual blindness and giving them new life in Jesus Christ. We should place our faith in the Holy Spirit to lead us and to recognize how God uses us as vessels to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost world. God is using us as Christians to go forth and for us to see this gospel movement multiply. Mm-hmm. If you're not a Christian this morning, you cannot fix yourself in any way. You cannot present some sort of a spiritual CV to God and be like, God, look at what I have done. Because we are all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. And that is why only through Jesus can we be saved and be made right with God? And so in closing, I just want to read Ephesians 2, verses 8 for us. And it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So we see God's sovereignty displayed in salvation in that in and of ourselves, there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. We see God's sovereignty and salvation in that even as we live on mission, trying to live in obedience, wanting to share this good news with others, we cannot change people's hearts. But we're still called to live in obedience by doing so, by sharing this good news with others. Because as much as we don't know if someone will respond to this gospel, but we are still called and commissioned to go out and to share and proclaim that good news. And that is why, that is why it is so important that we continually place our faith and our hope, asking that the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom, power, and understanding as we try to live as faithful ministers where God has placed us. And so Lord, um, we are thankful that your word is so powerful Um, that we can be so captured and consumed that it leads us to recognize how fallen we are, but also how much we need you. Lord, I ask and I pray that may we continually seek to live for you, seek to want to glorify you in all things, praying for those in our midst who may still not be Christians, Lord, I pray that you would remove and take away the spiritual blindness. I pray that they would recognize that indeed you are so much greater than whatever the world has to offer. Um, We get to enjoy being in a relationship with you. We no longer having to live as slaves to sin, but can pursue righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your great word. And we ask that you would be with us. In your mighty and precious name we pray. Amen.